Well, we better get going so I can be done quickly. So, um, I'm sorry, guys. So, yeah, we were talking about plugging into God's power, Second Corinthians 12, and uh, and uh, we will. I do apologize. I was I was like I'd have been in here sooner than normal, and then something came up, and I'm like, okay. That's something we should have talked about much earlier, but there's a lot going on. All right, Second Corinthians twelve eleven, um, the Bible says in verse in verse. Wait a minute, I don't want eleven. I'm going to move on to verse um, verse twenty through twenty one. So we're wrapping this up. Verse twenty one. It says, "For I fear uh, lest." <clears throat> Uh, for I fear, when, when, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I would, that I shall be found unto you such as you would not, lest there be debates, envyings, wrath, strives, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, uh, and, and tumult, tumults, and lest when I come, uh, again, my God will humble me among you, that I shall be wail many which have sinned already, and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. Heavenly Father, we ask a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word and the, the remainder of our outline tonight. Lord, just help us with this time, and most importantly, as well the, as the teaching, the time in prayer. We pray a blessing on this and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... Uh, credible Christians plug into the power of pending judgment. That's pretty ominous. So we've already seen that credible Christians plug into the power of God's love and, and uh, cr- plug into the power of pure motives. And that took us up through verse 19. And now we're looking at the uh, power of pending judgment. So a powerful uh, Christians, powerful Christians respect the power of pending judgment. In, uh, in verse 20, of course, that's what he's talking about. He's, he's concerned about God's judgment upon the, the what he would find there at Corinth if he comes and they're not repentant. So practically speaking, if Jesus returned today, what would he find in our life, right? Would he be pleased with that? That's the question that we should all be asking ourselves. Paul was hoping to find the Christians such as he would, uh, repentant, tender, loving, and uh, loving God and each other. It's very congruent with what we've been looking at in uh, in First John, right? So be ready for the Lord at his coming. And Paul is like, when I come, I hope you guys are ready. Uh, because I don't want to find you any other way. So Paul feared coming to the uh, to Corinth, and and such as he would not. So he wants. There's a way he wanted him to be, and then there's a way he didn't want him to be, and that would be him sharply rebuking them for sin. So he's like, don't make don't make me <laughs> don't make me rebuke you. Um, and so. Um, when we come together on a Sunday morning, uh, you know, we come to meet with God, you know, and in Sunday night for sure. So hopefully that's what we're doing, that we're having fellowship with him. And he is gracefully calling us to repentance in our life, right? And that's a that's a change of heart and life that re- produces a change of life. He's always improving our walk and correcting us and, uh, you know, getting us, making sure that we're in the way and not out of the way and uh, pointing out sin in our life. Uh, or is he right? And so, I love Romans two four, <clears throat> which is in an otherwise kind of kind of a bad connotation. But Romans two four, you guys are probably familiar with. It says, or Paul says, or despise thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So you can either take advantage of God's goodness and which will be judgment, or you can allow the the window of opportunity. 
to repent and take advantage of it and find the mercy and grace of God, right? So all of us, on a you know, in our life, that's how we get saved. You know, the, the time clock is before you die. You have to take advantage of the good news and get saved, or it's too late. Judgment falls after you die, like the rich man in uh, Genesis or in uh, Luke 16, <clears throat> and uh, too late. Can't go back now, and uh, you can't even can't even send somebody from the dead. You know, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, too bad. You know, so you're out of luck. Um, <clears throat> but then, even for Christians, right? When it comes to that's obviously an Old Testament context. But for Christians, even <clears throat> though we're saved and our souls are sealed to the day of redemption, we're working for our standing at the judgment seat of Christ and the glory that he should receive at that day not us the glory that he should receive at that day from his investment in us and i think a lot of times christians don't in our culture don't really think much about that um um and so you know that's ultimately what it's about is man you've man lord you've put an investment in in me well, I hope you get a return ROI on that, you know, because uh, now we can never earn our salvation. We can never do enough to say thank you, uh, but we can we can certainly do things to turn down the light bulb, so to speak. Right? We can allow sin in our life. We can allow attitudes and actions to erode at our relationship and fellowship. We can neglect the Word of God. We can neglect prayer. We can we can neglect the assembling of ourselves together. And all of those things are going to have a cumulative effect. Or we can assemble with the wrong heart attitude and we can allow things to erode at the... Uh, at the relationships that God has intended. So God forbid that happens uh, in the church. So um, so eliminate the credibility corruptors. So Paul lists them out here. So here's some credibility corruptors. Maybe we should list this on the wall. These are credibility corruptors, debates. He, that, so he just, he just says it straight up. He goes, you know what? This is what I don't want to find when I get there. I don't want to find debate. That, that, that corrupts your credibility. Uh, Paul doesn't want to hear any more of I'm a Paul or I'm Apollos stuff. He's wanting that to be gone. And um, also he says envyings, which are self-explanatory. But, you know, envying is one of those issues of the heart. It's not always on the surface. It's, 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 all, it's often something that's going on under the surface. Proverbs speaks of that, right? Um, um, you know, when you're eating with a king, put a knife to thy throat because you don't know if his heart's with you or not. <laughs> so, so you know, be careful. And so, what he's, what you know, envying is something that resides in the that green monster of envy, uh, also called emulation in Galatians, um, can really, really cause a lot of problems in relationships. So, envying is something that he did not want to find. Again, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Who who baptized me? All that other stuff. He already took care of that in his first epistle wrath um it actually says wraths plural right uh you know words and actions of hatred you know just he doesn't want to find that when he shows up that'll ruin our credibility strifes uh making uh, taking matters before the loss instead of settling them biblically he's already dealt with that right the strifes that cause uh uh, you know, to go before the ungodly. He's like, man, don't do that. Don't allow that ha- to happen. Backbitings, you know, speaking evil of one another, detracting from your brother or sister's good name, uh, you know, tearing one another down. Uh, whisperings, secretly or privately suggesting evil of your brother or sister. Um, swellings, uh, that makes me laugh because they used to, back when I was in high school, or just out of high school and we just got married, 
Uh, a friend of mine used to call me swelling because one uh, I ran into a guy at the Baskin Robbins of all places, and he says you swelled because I gotten so big from when I was in high school. But anyway, that has nothing to do with this word here. Uh, swellings, uh, looking down on on others because they are not your age, uh, social status, uh, uh, or have much knowledge as much knowledge. So you can think of someone who's puffed up. Yeah, yes. <clears throat> hmm. Yeah, it's too big for you. Yeah. The, 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 the up in their fleshly mind knowing nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, swelling would be definitely go hand in hand with being puffed up and carnal. And all of these are carnal for sure. Um, and it lacks love of God and people for sure. And then the last one he mentions there is tumults. Uh, looking down on other uh, tumults, which is fightings between church families, which tear away at the fabric of the church body. Which I could tell you, all of these I've seen happen here at Heartland. So uh, it happens today, just like it did in the in the first century. So I, I, that's why we take the Lord's Supper seriously, and uh, these things need not to be in the body of Christ. So uh, the actions described at the end of Second Corinthians twelve twenty. Uh, will blow God's um, breaker and leave a person of, or a church powerless. And so we just had we had electrical problems here a couple of weeks ago because we lost a, a fuse out on the line and we only had one leg of our three phases of power. And then that messed up all kinds of other power. You know, once you blow it, it nothing works. So the lights didn't work right. The uh, air conditioner didn't work right. My in the, in the front of the building, everything was all the things that needed power were were not powered. And that's a bummer. And uh, that's what he's saying. He's like, hey, you know, we're, you don't want to lose the power. You don't want to lose your, your power breaker. Um, for I fear lest when I come, I should not find you such as I would, that I should uh, be found unto you as such as you would not, lest there be debates, envyings, all those things we just looked at. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and that I shall bewail many which have sinned already. And have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they've committed. <laughs> Obviously, then that's not going to—they're not going to be accomplishing the mission of God and the power of God, uh, and they're going to lose power, and uh, and things won't run right. And so we need to all be right with God so that God can be glorified. At the catching away of the church, uh, will God find HBF blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation? I just had next steps today and went over this again, you know, afresh. And it's just good to look. That's our vision. Our vision here at Heartland is to be that church. If there's one church or there's 100 or there's 1,000 or there's 1 million, it doesn't matter. But I want to be the. I want to be one of the churches, Philippians chapter 2, that when Jesus returns, that we're right with him and uh, we're right with one another and uh, we're a light that shines in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation right the issue isn't what the nation's doing the issue is are we shining period that's the issue we got to be worried about uh we i'm not responsible for the foreign policy of the united states of america i'm not responsible for the domestic policy i'm responsible for the policy of how i live my life and how we do what we do here at the church and uh and so i can only do what i can do and you can do what you can do, but that's what we are to do, and that's what makes the difference, is being lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. So point B, uh, powerful Christians are motivated to connect others to God's power. And that's what he talks about there in verse 21. He, you know, discord in the body should grieve us. Paul has what, uh, what we would call pastoral empathy, right? Um, he truly, not like Bill Clinton, who said he felt the pain, uh, he really did feel the pain. And so you remember that line that, 
the politician says, I feel your pain. You know, I'm not sure about that. But uh, I know that Jesus does. And I know that Paul felt the pain of the Corinthians. So does it grieve you when you see your brothers failing? Uh, Does it grieve you when you fail? And so... um, you know, if you're if we're so hard that, that that doesn't bother us, then we need to check our hearts and uh, make sure that we're seeing things the way God's seeing them. Paul was very concerned about the Corinthians' success, right? He wanted them to not be losers, right? Oh well, they're losers. I'm done with them. No, he wanted them to. He wanted them to be successful. Uh, doesn't mean he could make them be successful, but he wanted them to be successful, and he was doing what he could to prepare them to be successful. Paul's desire was to return to a church of unity and not disunity. So, um, you know, do you look forward to coming home if your families uh, are not getting along? Like, is it fun to go home if your wife and kids are screaming and fighting with each other? You know, of course not. So you want to have tranquility in the home. And so uh, that's important, and it makes you want to come home. If you come home and everybody's at each other, nobody loves each other, and everybody's crass and coarse, that's not the right environment. I mean, that's not something people want to come home to. And so that's just practical sense, good common sense. But you know what? <clears throat> you would rather go home to people who desire to see you. Uh, now, <clears throat> Paul doesn't want to go home to a fight. He wants to go home to people that are getting along. And in a type, when Jesus comes to get us, I hope we're not... Wouldn't that be terrible for Jesus to come at the catching away and we're fighting and carrying on with one another? That'd be terrible. Next thing you know, you're caught up in the third heaven. Oops. That would be terrible. So uh, do something about it, though. If, if that is the way your life is, then do something about it, which in here it probably isn't. But there's people, There's people. I'm sure, in our church that... that uh, I remember someone uh, one time had their phone on and, and they dialed me and I'm, I got... Their phone came on. I thought, thought that was someone calling me, so I got on the phone. And you know what I heard? And I'd never tell you who this is. They're not even alive, actually. They pocket dialed me, and man, they are just screaming their head off at their kid. And it wasn't nice. I mean, it wasn't like rebuking him. It was like hateful. And I thought, boy, that poor little child. That that person is just laying into him. And uh, I guarantee, if if they knew I was hearing all that, they would not have had that tone. It's not about correcting and instructing. It was about berating and, and belittling. And uh, it was horrible. And so eventually I realized this wasn't for me, and I hung up on it. But they were going through a drive through or something. I don't know. But, yeah, they pocket-dialed me. So <clears throat> so anyway, so this is what we do. Oh, was you going to say something? Oh, what, this is what we got to do. we got to be like Daniel. And uh, if you have your Bibles, turn back there real quick. Daniel 9. I'm almost done. Daniel chapter 9. Uh, verses 1 through 5, which Daniel 9 is, you know, usually you're going to get into the, you know, um, Daniel's 70th week. So I'm not going to do that. But, uh, oops, sorry. Well, I'll get there. You guys will get there before I will. Ezekiel Daniel. Give me Ezekiel. There we go. Ezekiel Daniel. There we go. Daniel chapter 9. All right, so Daniel chapter 9 and verse 1, primarily verse 5, but 
I just want to look at this with you. You guys know probably the context. He's wanting to know what, how is God going to restore my people in fellowship? In the first year, Darius, son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish seventy years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications uh, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God, and made my confession, and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him, uh, and to them that keep his commandments. Now verse 5 is what I want to focus on. We have sinned, and have committed iniquity, and have done wickedly, and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts, and from thy judgments. And so, uh, you know what Daniel says? He says, uh, we have sinned. So he's wanting God to go somewhere. Now, has Daniel sinned? No. But he identifies with the sin of the, God's people. Yeah. And so he says, we have sinned. Uh, he doesn't make himself above the people. Uh, and we should be grieved when we see Christian marriages fail. It's not their marriages. It's our marriages. It's, um, it's, and when we see a, a Christian child rebel... Um, you know, oh man, I'm sorry for their kid rebelling. Well, that's man, we should we should be sorry. I mean, we should that should affect us uh, when Christian parents fail, and um, you know, and when we have problems, we see other people have problems. We shouldn't gloat. No, definitely shouldn't gloat in it, and that would be horrible. Uh, and we should be grieved. And and so uh, Paul was grieved when the Corinthians were not being what God saved them to be. And so uh, Daniel was grieved because he realized Israel was not where God wanted him to be. Um, and so what do you do? Well, sometimes all you can do is pray and see God's word. <clears throat> another Another thing that we can do in addition to praying um, over those things that we're grieved over is to study so if you are grieved that's a good thing you're not you're not callous to it you have empathy for it you're not getting caught up in it you want to see uh you know reconciliation restoration the second thing is study for the test in job 26 uh, if you go back there in verses one through three um The Bible says, But Job answered and said, How hast thou helped him that is without power? How savest thou the arm that hath no strength? How hast thou counseled him that hath no wisdom? And how hast thou plentifully uh, declared the thing as it is? And so... Uh, there's a there's there's a there's a test here. How have I helped him that's without power? And you probably heard these are the questions that God will ask us at the judgment seat of Christ. Many believe that. I don't know, but it could be. How have you helped them that's without power? How savest thou the arm that has no strength? Those that don't have power. You know, how have you contributed to helping them? How hast thou counseled him that hath no wisdom? Uh, all of the, the epistles of First and Second Corinthians, you could look at these questions and say, Paul's trying his best. How hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is? Right. So it gives him a great flowery introduction in, in the first epistle, and then he just tells him how it is. Right. And so he declared it how it was. To whom hast thou uttered words? And uh, and whose spirit came from thee? So who did you speak to? And when you spoke, was it your wisdom or was it God's wisdom? And so those are really those are great questions. So those are great. that's a good test. And so, um, so we'll all be taking the test. Uh, go back to Matthew chapter twelve, Matthew twelve thirty four. I told you this was longer than it looked. 
So, uh, Matthew twelve thirty four through thirty seven, uh, the Bible says, "O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment." Um, and they, I, that makes me want to repent right now. For by, by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Right? So there's certainly uh, an import on our words. And by the way, out of the abundance of the heart, right? So the words reveal what's in the heart. So do you have a correct answer? Uh, let's go to Philippians chapter chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Doing a little Bible study tonight. No PowerPoints. You have to do it old school. Philippians 2, uh, 10 through 12, uh, in a very familiar passage. So it's going to come right down to it that everyone needs to have this answer, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow for the things in heaven and the things in the earth and the things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So, um, we should, uh, you know, every knee should bow, and every knee should confess. And we should, every tongue should confess Jesus is Lord. But the fact is, not everybody does. And so, that should bother us. Now, we can't make people do it. We can't twist people's arms behind their back. But we should pray. And and we can certainly pray like Daniel, and uh, we can study for the tests, and we can uh, and we can help people that don't have power that are willing to receive it, because we know. And I started this whole section on this uh, point about judgment, right? Credible Christians plug into the power of pending judgment. We know there's pending judgment. In Romans 14, that same passage applied in Romans 14 from the Old Testament. Um, <coughs> Romans 14:11. Which, by the way, is taken from, uh, I forget the passage in the Old Testament. It's in Isaiah, is actually, I believe, the original where that's pulled from. Paul pulls it from there. But anyway, Romans 14.10 says, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? So he's not talking about having a judgment, like understanding judgment uh, and a concern. He's like, why are you judgmental towards your brother? Right, not not checking the fruit and not being concerned that there's no fruit, but why are you condemning your brother? Right, but why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? Right, so why are you setting them down? Why are you knocking them down? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You know, and even lost men will do that at the great white throne judgment. Uh, they won't have anything to say, but they will give account to a holy God without an advocate and without propitiation for their sin. And, of course, they'll be cast in the lake of fire. And that pending judgment should move us, because there's power in pending judgment. Yeah, Ron? So Isaiah 45, 22, and 23 is probably the yeah, the, yeah, the cross-reference for that. Isaiah, 40, what is that, 45? 22 and 23, yeah. <clears throat> that was obviously near and dear to Paul's heart. He quotes it twice. So so a, court, a cultural norm in Corinth was sin. 
And, uh, you know, look at uh, back to our text in Corinth, and we'll be done. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12 and uh, 21 there. That was the norm. And that's one thing you can see there in the text. That became a cultural norm for the church. When I come again, my my God will humble me among you that I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. <clears throat> and so the issue here is, is it what they've done? In part. But really, what's the big issue? Then, when they've known to do right, they haven't changed it. They haven't repented, and so only by the power of God are we able to be free from the power of sin over our lives. So God's power allows us to overcome the cultural norms. And boy, I tell you, that's important to know today because there's a lot of cultural norms being shoved down our throats. And so it was it was commonplace in Corinth to engage in sexual sin at the altar of Venus. And it was no big deal in a society to cheat on your spouse or overindulge in excess of the day. Uh, today, um, <clears throat> you know what? There are people that are just are doing the same things today that were going on at the time of Corinth because nothing's new under the sun. So the question isn't, what have you done? The question is, what what are we willing or not willing to repent of so that we can walk with the Lord and return from uncleanness, as he as Paul calls it, uncleanness, fornication, and lasciviousness. Um, and so I tell you, this I probably need to circle back around and preach this on Sunday morning sometime, but today, today is the day, right, for all of us to walk in the Spirit. You're here on Sunday night, I know, because you're following the Lord, but... But uh, there is power in pending judgment. And so, you know what? Paul was concerned about not just his judgment, but the judgment others face. And it should grieve us. And this is really, I will tell you, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, because we have a member of our church right now that is... is, you know, if, if he doesn't repent, he's he's facing judgment. And I don't think I've been very slow on on mentioning all of that. But um, man, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see somebody living uncleanness, lasciviousness. It's not that we don't want them; it's that we do want them. But we know that there comes a point when unrepentance it zaps the power out of the body of Christ, and it brings judgment. And so um, it's not what you've done, it's what you've repented of. If have we repented of what we've done, obviously we shouldn't continue in sin that grace may abound. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Uh, but Paul is saying, man, let's clean up the household of faith because the Lord is at hand. And, uh, and so next time we get together... Uh, Paul mentions it's his third time coming to them, so we'll talk about the the final chapter of our study in 2 Corinthians. Any questions? All right, I got it in under the wire. If you're listening online, we're glad that you joined us. May God richly bless you, as uh, the Bible says, and J. Vernon McGee, my beloved. God bless you.